special audio series exploring our 8x8 Shangri-La exhibition. I'm Karima Daudi, Public Programs and Special Events Coordinator at Shangri-La Museum of Islamic Art, Culture, and Design. During the summer of 2020, eight Hawaii-based visual artists and eight performing artists were invited to create new work responding to the theme of place at Shangri-La. Each artist was entrusted with one of eight gallery spaces at the museum to serve as both a creative prompt and an exhibition space for their work. The result, a remarkable and highly original exhibition that showcases the exceptional creativity that exists across the Hawaiian archipelago and its intersections with Islamic art, cultures, and design in the Pacific. In this special audio series, different Shangri-La staff members talk with some of the artists featured in the exhibition and take a deep dive into their processes, materialities, and their diverse takes on the theme of place. Today we'll hear from Dr. Conrad Ng, Shangri-La's Executive Director, who hosted a conversation on Zoom with mixed-media artist Melissa Kamara and storyteller, playwright, and actor Moses Goods. So the first question is an easy one. Um, you may not get it wrong, but you're welcome to elaborate in some way. But your first question, and I'll ask this of um, Melissa, is what is your name? I'm Melissa Kamara and I'm from Honolulu originally. And my last name is actually my husband's last name, Kimera. And it was so cool, I had to take it. Hello, my God. Oh, my name is Moses Goods, originally from the island of Maui. Um, I'm actually, since you're asking about my name, I'm the third. I'm Moses William Goods the third. So my father was Moses, his father was Moses. And there were actually some Moseses before him. They just weren't Moses William. So. I sort of have a title more than a name. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, actually I have a follow-up question already about names because a lot of the artwork that we have is about place and each of you speak to place in your own way. Uh, for Moses, how does that feel to be named uh, in a way that has a namesake, that your, your, your name itself is a genealogy of sorts? Well, my, um, my father was the kind of guy that, you know, he, I never met my grandfather, but I feel like I knew my grandfather because all the stories that my father told me about him. So he wanted to make sure that, you know, legacies in our family continue to live. And he did that through the stories that he told us. And so I, I, I've always loved my name. It's just, you know, imagine being an eight-year-old and your name is Moses. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a grown man's name. And it took me a while, I think, to grow into my name. But I, I wear that name um, with a lot of pride. And, you know, I was, um, I'm the only one. I have four siblings, four older sisters, and they all have Hawaiian names or at least Hawaiian middle names. I was, since I took my father's name, I was given my father's name. I wasn't given a Hawaiian name until my adult life. And so, you know, with, with, you know, in Hawaiian culture, you can actually receive a name at any point in your life. And this particular name came to me from a fellow artist. And so my, um, the other name that I didn't mention is Kinolau. So that was given to me by a, a fellow artist. I love it. And would you, for us, explain that, that naming, um, your Hawaiian name, uh, as you came into it? So it's, uh, it was gifted to me by another playwright, another storyteller. And... This was before I was a playwright, actually. 
and I had worked on one of her shows. Um, it was called The Legend of Kaululaau. And in that show, it was a one-man show. And I played, I think, about nine different characters. So that's kind of, kind of become my thing is to go in and out of characters in, in the shows that I that I create and are a part of. And kino lau has many meanings, but kino is body. Lau can mean um, plant or leaf, or it can also mean many. So it's a, it's, it's a, a word or, um, or a term that's often associated with uh, nahua or the gods, and they have different body forms. They have different earthly manifestations. And she felt that it was appropriate for me to have that name because I have, I go in and out of these different um, characters or forms, if you will. And so she thought it was appropriate for me to have that name. I love it. I love it. Melissa, I'm going to ask you about your family name. You had talked about how you uh, have your husband's last name, but your work, Borderlands, talks about your family's journey, um, you know, from about 100 or so years ago. Will you speak more about your, your sense of family name and place and, and perhaps maybe that journey that's represented in uh, the artwork? Sure. So I was born and raised in Honolulu, and I am, my mother's Lebanese American. My father's Filipino American. They met in 1969, and you know it's one of those amazing stories of only in Hawaii, right? You have such disparate cultures and races coming together. And Borderlands refers to my mother's family, specifically her father's family, who traveled from Mount Lebanon to, um, to Damascus a hundred years ago during the breakup of the Ottoman Empire. And they had a very harrowing journey in which only two of my grandfather's siblings survived and the rest perished along the way, in many ways paralleling the journeys of the Syrian um, refugees um, who are, have fled civil war, sort of repeating that cycle repeating itself once again, and those stories that my grandfather never relayed, but that we read about in newspaper articles later and just did our own digging and discovering, those stories were really the origin stories, I think, that many writers talk about. So for my mother, it's what propelled her to want to become an Arab-American poet. And for me, it was her poetry and the family stories of of journeys harrowing and deeply um, troubling and amazing, all of them at the same time, those stories are what stayed with me as a painter and my mother specifically the narrative form. So the narrative is what ends up being very much present in, in my work and in that triptych. Can you say more about the title of your work? Um, because I'm just fascinated by how you're, you share, uh, fascinated by your family story, and then it finds itself located in this work. So if you can start with the title of your work and then why that title. Sure. So I'm a little bit obsessed with World War One, <laughs> particularly from the Arab perspective because of our family's truncation during that time, meaning, you know, the loss of so many people and my grandfather's survival. And so Borderlands in the breakup of, the first to the breakup of the Ottoman Empire, what became the, the modern Middle Eastern countries, 
and the civilians, the women and children specifically, that endure the greatest hardships from the demarcation of and enforcement of those boundaries. And so my grandfather's family departing from Mount Lebanon and on this harrowing journey to Damascus, that's depicted, you know, sort of very, very visually as the way it was described to a, a reporter by his surviving siblings in Ellis Island when they returned to America. And then there's also images of um, today's refugees, Guatemalan mother and her child, and today's border enforcers, the immigration customs enforcement. Uh, you know, they're, they're side by side with the Ottoman soldiers, you know, and it's just very complicated, right? These, um, these cycles of um, traversing lands that you thought were your home, but they're no longer, and what do you do? in the middle of all of that? And where do you go when you're on the other side of it or when you don't make it to the other side? So that's really what's informing the work. And, you know, for my grandfather's family, he lost all of his family and searched through the Red Cross um, des desperately, like so many people did at that time, trying to locate his sole surviving siblings. And eventually they did come, but their story was, as I said, relayed in um, an amazing newspaper article about which he never actually spoke. So like many people, you know, I think of um, Holocaust refugees and, and so forth, you know, they never wanted to speak to the horrors that had happened because they wanted to spare their family members these stories. But again, it's sort of that mystery of what happened to our family and in the discovery of, um, of their stories through other means. Um, and I've sort of retraced that. My mom's done it in her poetry, and I've done it in her paintings. Yeah, it, it, it is a, um, that's very beautiful. It's a terrific title for a piece that captures, I think, um, a lot of the ways that rupture plays out as a unifying element among certain communities, whether they're diasporic communities, racial communities, native communities, uh, that rupture gives rise to um, a response in which you want to dig down and try to find out from the fragments um, who you are and how power plays out in terms of bringing them together, but as well as separating them. I, I find that in my own personal history with my parents and World War II, um, which split the Pacific, the Asia Pacific in many ways. Um, you know, Moses, I want to ask you about the titles of your piece, because there are three works within this piece. And one of the things that Melissa has spoken about is how she, you know, uses her family history to, you know, you know, to she uses her family history um, as a source to inform her art, at least this artwork and that she becomes this bridge. And in your work as a poet, as a storyteller, um, you yourself have found uh, yourself as a bridge to the past, to conjuring these stories, which I found absolutely fascinating in your work. And I loved it. I mean, I, I, I loved it uh, so much. Uh, so can you talk about, you know, naming the title of your work, there are three, and then speak to the titles and how those came to be 
how you came to find those titles in you and channeling that creativity into the work that we see. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I approach a piece like this, especially one that is for a specific place, you know, when you enter a place, you know, you, as a storyteller, you want to just be open to what that space can teach you and what, you know, and, and there was a lot because that I was, this project was actually the, what brought me to, um, that space and I'd never been there before. And I, I, so I took it all in, in a matter of, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours. And it was just, it was overwhelming in, in, in an amazing way. But, um, the three pieces that I came up with, the first one is called and so that, um, it speaks to the, the layers and the different strata of the place of Kupikipikio itself and what was there before and what's there now and all the layers in between and on top and underneath and all of that. Um, and it's, um, it was a way for me to process, um, I guess just every, everything all at once. And there's also in the, that particular piece, which is in a mele that was, you know, that I, that I, that I chant while, you know, taking apart the different different pieces of um, what I replicated from, from the artwork, pieces of art that actually really jumped out to me. But all of those pieces are broken. And so there's there's these fragments that are coming, um, coming off um, one by one. And it's just that that image of just layers and fragments were just were just there the whole time. One of the stories that I um, I read not after um, being there, was about how the those beautiful pieces of marble, the the I think they're called jali. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but the in um in the bedroom in the bathroom, and how they're just so beautifully carved by this master carver. It's just it's just incredible to look at, and the first, it was commissioned to um to be brought over there, and then when it was brought there, they were broken. They were in pieces, and my heart you know just broke because all of that mana going into that piece of artwork all of that you know this master carver who i would imagine comes from a line of master carvers all of that work is just like it's broken and that it, it just it just stuck with me and so that whole image of 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 pieces and, and layers and strata and it, it was just something that visually i kept seeing and i just wanted to represent that um so that's the first piece but that piece also talks about the different stories that are there um, from not just the artwork, but the, like I said, the strata below and what, what comes with that. And also, you know, stories like the, um, the 1895 uh, um, uh, conflict, you know, when, when the, the kingdom was, when they were rebelling to get our kingdom back, you know, many of those things took place, if not in that particular spot near there. And so that whole area is sort of known for that particular level. So all of those things found its way into this, to that first piece. The second piece is called after the birthday party. And, you know, I'm there in the, in this, this place with just an incredible amount of amazing things brought from all over the world. And how this one woman had the means to do that is just mind blowing. And you just start, start thinking about basically how rich this woman was and how powerful this woman was. But then my mind goes to who this this person was the, the, as, a, as a human being. What's, what is her story? How did she even get there? And so 
um, that's when the, I guess, the research part of, of, of what I do comes into play. And I start to really understand her story. And it, the, um, and it all went back to um, her very first birthday without her father. Her father died when, when she was 12. And so her, that would have meant her 13th birthday was the very first birthday without her father. It's about Doris Dubob, obviously, though it's not factual. And I, I want to make it clear that it's, it, this is a piece, you know, a piece of art. You know, it's largely my imagination filling in blanks. So let me just say that. But I think you go to a place like that and you can't help but just be fascinated by who this woman was and, and the the power and the money that she had is, is it's you like it or not. It's, 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 it's fascinating. It's amazing. And you start to look at, think about someone like that as not human, you know, as, as just someone as a rich, a rich lady, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I'm thinking of, of, of her, but me as a storyteller, it's my job to, you know, take a few steps back and, and try to, try to um, understand the, the, the layers of this woman's life as a, as a human being. And going back to the story, um, we're going back to the part of her life where she lost her father at a young age. She was 12 years old. And so her 13th birthday was her first birthday without her father. So even if, you know, that, that right there is just fraught with, with emotion, with story, with weight. And then you add in, you know, the being the richest girl in the world and all these other things. And you just get an, an incredible story about a human being. And so that's, that's, that's really what I want, what I wanted to focus on is her basically starting her life or that, that part of her life without her father, with all the pressure of being um, the richest girl in the world is just something that I, um, not even, not even the artist side of me, just, just, just the, the human side of me. I just, I, I like to just sit and think about those things, you know, those, those parts of the story that we don't, we don't always stop to consider. And so that's the second piece. The third piece is um, called The Children Beneath the Wall. And that is, um, that was, that's my, my most personal connection to um, uh, that place that I had when I was there. And it was completely unexpected. And we were walking, it was towards the end of the tour um, and we had gone to the outside area and we, we looked over the cliff and I'm like, you, know, you see the beautiful ocean. And I looked down and I locked eyes with this, with this one little girl, you know, with, with all of her friends. And it was just an incredibly powerful moment for me because for one thing, um, I, like I said, in the piece, I'd been on those, those very rocks, but I didn't know what was up there until that moment. You know, I, like I said, I'd never been to Shangri-La before. I almost didn't even really know where it was. And so I wasn't even oriented to, to, to put two and two together and be like, oh, this spot was what I saw when I was down there looking up basically at, you know, the rich people up there. And, you know, you, you know just, just the thoughts that I had those years ago, it had been a while since I actually went jumping from rocks down there. But those years ago, you know, you, you, you have this feeling of, should I even be here? I'm here because it's fun and I like it. And all the other kids are, are, are here, but there's this, this, you know, you're not sure if, it, if it's even allowed is what I'm doing even legal. Are the rich people above going to get, get mad at me, uh, whoever they are, whatever that is. And in that moment, looking down, I'm like, Oh my goodness, that's where I am right now. I'm on the other side of where I was years before. And it was just, I really, I wanted to hide. I wanted to, I, I just, I, in fact, I think slowly I tried to just 
back away without without wanting the girl below to feel like I'm the person that is judging her. I'm like, I'm just going to remove myself from this situation because it was such a weird and bizarre and important feeling that I that I experienced when I was there. And so, you know, with my work, it's, you know, it, it can be from a single moment, you know, which I often do. I'll, I'll try to just capture a single moment and just dissect everything, or I'll just try to tell the whole story of a, of a, of a larger um, section of time. But in that, in that particular piece, it was about that one moment locking eyes with that, that girl down below. Anyway, I've rambled enough. <laughs> No, it, it's it's beautiful, and, and you know the children beneath the wall, and I and I I think about that uh, as executive director of Shangri La, especially when we have photos of Shangri La in context of that particular viewshed with the shoreline down below, which had been transformed with Doris's inter intervention, and it's not sort of lost on me as you know, executive director of a museum uh, wh whose mission purports to celebrate and deepen the understanding of artwork of various communities of the Islamic world. Um, but those very communities are sometimes marginalized uh, in many ways, uh, you know, particularly in the United States, if you think about uh, racism or Islamophobia and the like. Long story short is I feel the same energy that you felt, Moses, when you're looking from the top of the wall down on sometimes and often, you know, brown bodies, people of color, people of Hawaii, um, enjoying themselves. And I think about decolonizing that juxtaposition between you know, the museum up top and the and you know people of color down below, and I'm mindful of that energy and dy dy that dynamic when I also look over the edge, and I sometimes think, what do they think of me when they you know when they look up and I look uh, down, and thinking about that as part of our our museum, you know, part of our museum practice is how do we begin to question that or deconstruct that? We do that through artwork. Um, that you you present to show that we are mindful that there are dynamics at play, um, but they're not so, they're not solidified. They're not forever dynamics. Insofar as this power will always be uneven, uh, in part because it's um, you know flipped on top, you know flipped upside down when we feature artwork from Melissa or artwork from Moses, because the interior of Shankarla should be open to the people who are outside. Um, you know, the children beneath the wall, as you uh, illustrate yourself, you were once down there um, and uh, swimming and jumping off the rocks. And now you're also within this mansion on the hill um, talking about that dynamic, which I think is part of our mission at Shangri-La. Um, you know, so Melissa, I want to ask you, while Moses is talking about Shangri-La, I want to ask you about your, your impression of, of Shangri-La or how it informs, you know, artistic spaces um, that um, that speak to the, you know, your your family heritage. Uh, well, the first thing to say is that I really do relate to what Moses was describing in his amazing first performance, the layered um, 
the layers that are all around us, right? And it's so, especially the case with Shangri-La and the history of that land before it became a very wealthy neighborhood. And then, of course, you know, the Museum for Islamic Art. So that's so complicated, right? It's incredibly complicated. And this feeling of isolation is definitely one that I relate to. I think most artists can relate to that separation one feels, you know, maybe from others just on a day-to-day, maybe feeling different. Um, And I think that alone is something that we all as artists negotiate and all as human beings, really, regardless of whether you're involved in the arts or not, is that negotiation between accepting people inside or outside of our tribe, right? That's the constant human condition. So that's one that I really, really relate to both the layering and that that feeling of otherness that we all contend with on some level. As for the museum itself, it's it's remarkable. I mean, for me personally, it's a reflection of my aesthetic, total and complete. <laughs> so it feels very familiar and um, rather overwhelming and stunning in, you know, the multitude of objects and cultures that are represented and to know that this place is in Hawaii, my home, is even more of um, something to wrap one's head around. And it's incredible that Doris Duke assembled this collection just from her eight months or, or year abroad, whatever it was, and that it represents so many different things from different people, different places, different time periods. And so um, how my family fits into that, you know, they were not collectors of arts and certainly they were immigrants, you know, very um, of modest means coming from another country, trying to make their way as is the immigrant story that you and your family can tell all of us, you know, have members who've endured that. So, um, I don't know how to explain the connection with the objects other than to say that the, the patterns and, you know, particularly the Islamic geometry is just something I think in my DNA. I don't know how else to say what um, that connection is other than it's something that I've had from the time I was very small. So walking into Shangri-La is astounding from just the aesthetic point of view, but it is very complicated, as Moses said, you know, it's very um, walled off from the rest of, of, of that neighborhood, really. I mean, it's, it's quite astonishing. Um, and yet it's this paradise, right? So it is the Shangri-La as she, Doris Duke intended. So I, I feel very, comp- I feel very complicated about <laughs> Shangri-La and, and getting to um, the Ottoman gallery where we both, you know, where Moses performed and where the triptych borderlands hangs it's the objects in there are astonishing as well. I mean, the thing for me that I was really responding to were the Damascene interiors that were, we talk about fragmentation. I mean, these are parts of a home from, you know, the 19th century that we don't even know, you know, who the people were that lived in that home and they, that pieces of that home were taken and shipped and then sold and then changed hands. And then they ended up in the Ottoman gallery in Honolulu. 
Um, so I imagine those people that were in those homes with those inscriptions above the doorways, which we're not even sure what the original translation is. There's just so many layers to it. There's just so much complexity and mystery to the collection and to that room. You know, that, that particular layer, layer of complexity that you just talked about is something that really hit me. Um, you know, someone who is not of that culture, I, I and looking at it in a different way, I, my mind goes to how I, uh, how I process looking at pieces in a museum um, away from home, away from Hawaii. You know, when I, well, the last time I was in Boston, I, there was, there was a key, a huge, you know, um, image, Hawaiian image that made its way all the way to Boston. And, you know, one of the first things I do is I, you know, I, I actually try to reach out in my own way and, 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 and almost ask, are, are you okay? <laughs> you know, what you're here, you're away from home. Why are you here? Are, are, I hope, I hope you're doing well, you know, and, and I hope that those caring for you are no, are, are doing that, are caring for you and understand who you are, what you are, what you, what you mean to us as Hawaiians. And so that's sort of, how I when I when I go to a place where I, where I know nothing about the culture or the religion, I can't help but think about that. One of the pieces that um, uh, in in my my uh, my first piece when I'm I'm taking the the, the the items off of my headpiece, there are these these uh, ribbons with with writing on them, and that that is from the reaction that I got when I saw the book the um of uh, the Muhammad uh, genealogy. I don't I know nothing about. Whether or not that's okay, I knew nothing about it. But my first, my thought was, "You're here. I hope you're okay." All these names in this book, you know, that people like myself can just look at. I, I hope you're okay with that. This is terrific. I mean, part of what I and and Moses, I hope I'm not interrupting, but mm -mm. I am, um, you know, I'm responding to how both of you both of you encourage and indulge and um, seed, you know, a notion that our stories and our senses of place are complicated and complicating, right? D depending on kind of how we situate ourselves in a place. I, I love my job because I believe that museums have a purpose many purposes and one is to tell our complicated histories our complicated stories and ask and encourage complicated questions i also love that our museum is in hawaii um, because i think that a hawaiian or a hawaii sense of artistic practice is to be complicated that we are nestled on you know in many moments on contested ground right on contested aina and I love that because it encourages me to think about what my civic responsibility is through, you know, my practice. And so I wanted to ask both of you, what is a, a Hawaii sense of artistic practice? Is it about complicated narratives and complicating forms of creativity? Um, but I really wanted to ask both of you as Hawaii-based artists, who have been here for a while, who can make claims uh, through family uh, of some connection to this place, uh, what you believe to be a Hawaii sense of artistic practice. 
Is it something that is complicated and complicating? Or is, you know, how would you describe it? I don't know if this answers the question or not, but, you know, essential to this type of work is the, the hours, really, of sitting in my thoughts, in my feelings, connecting with the stories, with the kupuna, with, with everything that is attached to the story, reaching out to trusted um, friends or, or, or leaders in the community that I, can, that I can talk to about these things and just having conversations that you know, aren't necessarily you know, meant for anyone else but myself and those, those engaged in conversation. But those conversations and those, those you know, moments of, of deep thought is what what shapes my work is, is essential to my work and you know I, I i can't i can't imagine now just you know throwing something together you know that's that's no longer how i work maybe i did at one point but you know now it takes a very long the process is very long for me um because of all the complicated layers um, attached to every story in hawaii you know and making sure that and I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to tell all the stories about one place, but, you know, just really after, after all of that thinking, after, um, after all those conversations, what is it that I need to um, put forth as both a thing of art, a thing of beauty, but also a, something that, that provokes uh, more thought than others that, that, that'll view my work? So I have no idea if that answered your question, but that's my answer. <laughs> it's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, similarly, Moses, I think we both take an approach of humility in, in surrounding ourselves with people who know more than us and who we want to learn from. And I think that's definitely a local way of doing business, you know, a local way of being in Hawaii. As to our multiculturalism, I mean, as a you know, island archipelago community. I mean, that goes back so long, right? I mean, Kalakaua, I mean, there's just so many before us who were so interested in, you know, being a hub for the world to come and interact, right? And I think that is so much of what's influenced me, certainly, is that legacy, although it's often not really talked about. You know, we maybe look at so much um, inundation, you know, through tourism as possibly a negative thing. But when we go back and look at what this place was, you know, long before it became part of the United States, I mean, there was this incredible vibrancy of culture from around the world and, and exchange. And I think, you know, something that stick with me was listening to Professor Baba, who's at um, Harvard in the humanities talk about, this sense of you know multiculturalism and this urgency we have to you know understand our place in the world, but also look through one another's eyes to understand and interpret culture, and that it's culture is not a static thing, and it's not beholden to just one race or one this or one that, but that we really it's our sort of our um, mission as human beings to be able to negotiate and to interpret one another's culture. And I think we do that extraordinarily well in Hawaii because we are, you know, not dominated by one ethnicity, one ruling ethnicity per se, but we have this multiculturalism that goes back, you know, hundreds of years. And so we have this unique ability 
to do that and not get stuck in something I'd never heard before, but called identi identitarianism, which is sort of like, you know, this hardening, again, going back to borders and boundaries, this hardening of one's identity at the exclusion of others. And I, I fear that we are perhaps as minorities, we feel, you know, I can certainly say this for myself, we feel, you know, hardened, especially living through the politics of the past four years, five years, but that it, we have to overcome that and, and continue to try to interpret each other, you know, look, look from another's point of view, which I think, you know, we are especially skilled at doing in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's beautiful. I, I love both of your responses. Um, so I think this might be my final question. I just looked at the time, but um, so all the artists in 8x8 were asked to respond to the, you know, to the theme or concept of place. And each of you were um, granted, uh, you know, or invited to, to, to respond to that concept and show um, in a specific place, one of eight gallery spaces at, at Shangri-La. Uh, my question is, um, if you were to, you know, acknowledge a mentor or kapuna or an ancestor or an event um, who that, that or who helped guide you to find your place in the world, who or, or what uh, would that be for you? Well, it would have to be my mom, Adele Najem, um, who is the poet in the family. Um, she took our family stories on the Lebanese side anyway and created an entire world of narrative and lyric poetry that I grew up in. And, you know, she was having salons <laughs> when I was you know, 11 and 12 and 13 years old with some of the most amazing minds. So I, I was so lucky to be in that world early on. And then there are just incredible artists. Um, Abigail Romanchek, printmaker on Maui, who's been a mentor of mine and I think has a good deal of influence on my own practice. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. What about you, Moses? Uh, first of all, ask Abigail if she remembers me. She and I were in a show together <laughs> uh, on Maui years ago, and we actually oh, toured that show. So ask if she remembers me. I but um, to, <laughs> to answer the question, um, uh, like Melissa said, there, there, there are many, and I'm still finding you know people in my life that that are shaping my my journey. And we all we all are going to be doing that, of course, as artists. We're you know we allow those people to come into our lives and 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 help us on our journey. We, we rely on them really. But if I, if I were to pick one, it would be my father. Um, and he said he, he had a lot of cliches and sayings, you know, bird in the hands worth two in the bush. All he had, he had a ton of them. Um, and he also had some uh, just amazing things that he said to me along my journey. And one of them was if be a leader, not a follower, even if that means that the only person you're leading is yourself. And I think I really took that to heart more than I, more than I realized. And I think you know, you look at what I just shared about me becoming a playwright, you know, that, that logically, you know, you're an actor, you, 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 you look for work as an actor and you follow suit and you take those roles. But because I didn't like that, I didn't want to follow suit. I decided to carve my own path and become an independent theater artist in Hawaii, which logically is a horrible idea. The unemployment rate for, for, 
for artists, theater artists is 95%. And here I am, you know, uh, making it even worse for myself and not, you know, not doing what, what a normal actor would do. But I decided to go my own way and be my own leader. And I'm, 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 I'm so grateful to my father for having instilled that in me because I would be in an entirely different place right now if, if I didn't have that mindset, you know, the thought to, you know, make my own way, even when nobody else is doing it, if, if I'm doing it by myself. So anyway, yeah, would have to be my father. That's terrific. Well, we are ever grateful to mothers and fathers <laughs> and the artists and other people we meet along the way to help us find our place. Yes, um, I just, I just, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I no. have to give a shout out and I'm sure Moses has a few of them too, you know, to the curators out there in the world, you know who you are, I'm not gonna name them mm. all, but really giving us the, just the platform and to push us into, you know, uncomfortable places. I mean, without them, you know, where would we be really with, um, with our careers and with the work. I mean, they're just amazing. And I, it's a collaboration always, right? I mean, between um, our fellow artists, performing artists, um, visual artists, and then those who bring us along and help us. I have to just, sorry, I had to throw that in there at the end because. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it is especially important that there are people in the world um, who say to some people like each of you, like both of you, um, that you have something important to say and let me open a space so that people can hear what that is. And I think that's that is, you know, personally, a, a, you know, sort of something that I, I take to heart, but professionally for museums, for curators and, um, and people who love the arts, uh, you know, we all believe that, uh, Artists are vital to democracy. They're vital to understanding that life is worth living and some things in life are worth fighting for. And they put those um, values, those goals into forms that inspire us, inspire us to action. So thank you to both of you uh, for being part of 8x8 at Shangri-La. Thank you for participating in 8x8 audio our special series dedicated to giving voice to artists and their shows uh, at Shangri-La. Um, I want to pause there and say and ask if there's anything that either of you would like to say um, that you know can be included in in this uh, audio program or um, you know, something that uh, you wanted to respond to that came to you just after we had, to, after the part of the moment in the conversation had passed. Um, but I'll open it up to see if there's anything. Um, just to say that I really, really appreciate this opportunity to look and view and take in and respond to Shangri-La's extraordinary collection space and the beauty of, of all that Shangri-La is. And we really appreciate all that you've done, Conrad and Karima and Leslie and everybody else who I'm forgetting. Thank you again so much. Same with me. I just want to follow you guys for, for not only inviting us artists to, to be a part of, of this, but giving us the freedom to tell the story the the way that uh, the way that we need to tell it 
and not um, not deciding who our audience is. You know, I, I'm the kind of person where I, I do like to know my audience and I write, you know, for that audience. And if it's if it's something that I think that audience cannot digest, then I'll, I'll, I'll still put it in there, but find, you know, creative and beautiful ways to to mask it. But it really, I, I got a sense when, when you guys were, um, when you invited me that this is just an opportunity for me to tell the story in whatever way I feel I, I, I should tell it and want to tell it, you know, and I really appreciate that. I didn't feel restricted in any way, you know, even though some of the things I, I brought up in my work are, you know, are, are, are maybe difficult conversations to have with certain people, but you, you allowed me to tell it and I, I really appreciate just allowing me that freedom. So mahalo nui. And I, I also have to, um, I, I did it in my, my, my uh, artist notes, but um, this piece, although I, I, I do so much work by myself, this particular piece was one that I really wanted to work with two, um, two creative partners that I've been kind of connected with for a long time. So that's um, uh, Lokomeka Lipscomb and Kahio Lelo Suyoka, who did um, a bit of the writing in um, some of the pieces. So. Well, thank you very much again uh, for including us in your artistic world and allowing us to be a place that uh, we can host uh, the important work that you have created. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this series of in-depth conversations with 8x8 Shangri-La artists. At the time of recording, we're still physically closed to the public. For more information about our museum and to experience the 8x8 virtual exhibition and our other online offerings, please visit shangrilahawaii.org.